right. Well, it's been a while, but guess what? We are back from the dead. Um, this is Mega Sheen, your your podcast for all geeky and gay things. So from a black geek perspective, I am Victor. And I'm Nick. And it has been what, a month, month and a half? Yeah. You know, we've been busy. Nick's been doing a lot of homework, getting ready to finish up school. I've been all over this entire town and Mm. Like stuff, so. <laughs> and vacationing. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you could say that a little bit. Um, you know, right now, um, my partner is at, in my apartment, which we realize that we could we can't live in this apartment. So it will always have to be somewhere. Two people cannot live in my apartment. Uh-huh. Uh, so I am. Um, I love that because that means we have to find somewhere new. You or just, just wanted to move any damn way. That's you just was finding a reason. You're like, <laughs> oh, okay, this is my reason. Like, yeah, this is my reason. Or you are not slick. <laughs> uh, even though, you know, I, I love my own, my privacy and my plants love, you know, living the way they uh-huh. live. We're going to have to find a new place. Now, his place is actually nice. Um, it's up on the hill going up to Hollywood Hills. We can move up there. And so did he ask Hollywood Hills? Um, we're not up there, but you know all the pretty houses up there. Around the corner is the original uh, Brady Bunch house. So okay, so that's to give you a reference of where he lives. You can like Google it and find it. It's like around up, it's like up and around a corner from his place. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a fun spot. Um, I think Chris Evans has a house up there, but we we're not going to talk about that because I don't want to say anything on this podcast and all of a sudden you see me i'm arrested so um okay <laughs> anything they're like i mean he said so and so so but anyway we are here we are back and we have a special guest today um this person y'all are very familiar with this is a friend of the show's been on the show before um you see him on twitter you also know him from color block um, being kind of the guru, the master of that important organization that has really reached out and and done a lot for the community, especially for queer people of color. I'd like to welcome Chief to our show today. Hey, y'all. It's good to be here. Thanks so much for welcoming me back. Yes. Um, and it's good to see you. Um, it's good to see you. you got on very colorful things today. As we just, I'm just wearing black. And I, I mean, I didn't know how to dress up for a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> well, none of us really do. We just, you know, show up. But it's good to have you because we're going to be talking about Wakanda forever today. We most certainly are. Um, but no, before we jump into uh, the review and our thoughts about the movie. Um, Thanksgiving happened, and did you everybody have a good Thanksgiving? What did you do? What did you eat? Uh, Chief, I know you uh, helped put on a queer holiday kickback for a uh, presented by Color Block. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, I um, I'm I'm lucky that that uh, that my parents and my family are so supportive and encouraging. Um, even at the age of 40, to allow me to do this because uh, you know I I would normally expect them to be like, no, you're coming home. <laughs> for the holiday but um we decided this in uh in october to raise some money 
and to invite folks to share space, um, have a drink, have some food, um, and listen to music uh, in in a in a shared queer space. We decided that there are folks here who um, may not have a place to go. They may have families, but they don't like being around their families, especially during the holidays with the not acknowledging their identity, their experiences, their life, sometimes even their partners. And some folks just might need a break um, from all that and want some queer time. So we we hired a, a caterer. We were granted a space in a queer owned wine bar here and um, paid for everyone to have a round, a couple of rounds of drinks and just chilled for three hours. And it was it was mostly people of color, um, almost all queer. There were a few allies there, but different universes colliding, different people, different backgrounds coming together. It was a wonderful time. And the the feedback that I got from the, the number one uh, type of feedback that I got was that after last weekend, after what happened in Colorado Springs, that people felt they needed to be around community. And so rather than succumb to a fear of violence rather than give in to that um that sort of that type of trauma uh they decided to to express joy and to share joy with other people who were just like them so it was a wonderful gathering it was really dope and we're gonna do it all over again on christmas day um for the same reasons you know um i will say that this is not my original idea but it was inspired by the fact that when i lived in san francisco that i discovered when I couldn't come back home um, for mostly logistical reasons, that some of the older bars in the Castro would open up early. Like we're talking 11 a.m. on holidays and the opening bartender would have a Costco spread or d'oeuvres, a whole uh, pot of pasole going. And they just wanted to be open for people to not be alone. And when I stumbled into that, you didn't necessarily have a lot of interaction, but people were just just in their own space but also not being alone, just being social, just understanding that there are other people out there like that. So uh, when everything shuts down, uh, the holidays can be really lonely because then what do you do besides sit home or maybe go to a park? And I mean, given the weather, it's not always comfortable to, to sit outdoors. So it's, it's a wonderful right. thing. And um, and I also say that this is, this is when we are reminded that the queer bars we berate all year round open up their doors for us like some of us wouldn't open for strangers. Absolutely. I know down here uh, at one of the bars, the crossings, um, they usually do a spread during Thanksgiving um, and Christmas Day uh, to recognize that, you know, some people, like you said, they can't go home or they don't simply just don't want to go home. And a lot of bars, you know, there's over the years that are closing whether it be rent, whether it be, you know, city ordinances or whatnot. So we really need those spaces to acknowledge uh, queer people. So yeah. that was very good. Victor, how was your Thanksgiving? Um, it was pretty good. Um, I cooked a small meal for Michael and myself. Um, no turkey, um, but chicken thighs, basically. Um, <laughs> and, you know, try to make it somewhat healthy. Um, um, but besides that, I, I did a Friendsgiving for our students. Um, a lot of our students um, are international. So we did a Friendsgiving thing on um, Monday, last Monday, um, where one of our, we have a chef within our, within our campus um, 
and he normally does like a, like small foods like salads and paninis, but he he secretly also does a lot of like real food. Like he actually he does um like fit meals for celebrities. And so um, I found out that he did catering. I was like, I want to hire you to do this for our students. And he was like, yes. Come to find out that he's never been hired to do that for our students. And I was like, hmm. wow. So I hired him and his food was really, really, really good. And, you know, I love, I love, you know, being star at work. So it was like kind of the nice thing of he's giving, you know, back to the students. The food was great. It was cheaper than what I would have paid for or what they paid for last year. So it was really good. I was glad the students really enjoyed themselves. And um, we didn't talk about Thanksgiving, but we we said more like this is somewhat the more traditional what they eat here. We didn't really talk about it as an American thing, but more of like, this is what we eat. But we also going to throw some other stuff. So I threw in some fried chicken and everything else too. Uh -huh. um, and they were just happy. Um, what I also love is people don't know how to RSVP. So... <laughs> Even though I knew people wasn't going to, I was like, we need, even though we probably, we, we, it's 60 people coming, let's, let's prepare for a hundred. And lo and behold, here they all come. We were hungry coming out of class. And some of them are in acting class. So they was all in full, wherever they were wearing, you know, for the oh, scene. Geez. Yeah. And then some were also filming. Uh, for those who know, I work at a film, a film visual arts school. So, you know, they were all in, fame mode basically and so it was nice just to kind of feed them well they were dressed up like um people like some of dressed up like pilgrims not really pilgrims if you know anything about um you know the crucible or stuff like that dressed up like that in scarlet a you know so it was kind of nice and weird <laughs> to see them all dressed up like that uh, but it was good um nice break we got away yesterday um, also in California, they are giving, we got another tax, a tax cut. Um, so a lot of people receive tax cuts. Uh, mm, I'm uh, so happy for y'all. Well, I, <laughs> I don't get it. I won't get it after this because I make over the amount now, but, um, they, they gave us, you know, free, you know, you can, I don't know if it's free, but you got up to like 350, 500, 700. Some were families got over a thousand. It was a nice little bonus thing. I was like, I wasn't even expecting this. But um, yeah, I saw something was coming in the mail because I get the little things that show you, like, this is what you get in the mail today. And I was like, looking at what is this? So I Googled it and it was like, oh, you know, they're giving money out. So this is probably why Gavin won again. <laughs> right. California is really dependent on stock market gains and real estate for its tax revenue. Um, so like last year with all the stock market did do really well um, because right profit taking or profit making gouging, et cetera. So the state had so much money that they were like, we're just going to give stuff away. Mm. It must be nice. It <laughs> must be nice. <laughs> oh no. it's You know, we think about it. Not really because you're paying so much is it's, it's 275 for your tags on your car it's um you know there, also yeah. there's a lot of fees yeah rent prices are not the tax here is ridiculous so yeah that wherever little bit that people got that's gone <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much gone <laughs> that was spoken for yeah right. 
if you have to buy your tags for your car, that's gone. If you get, you know, Christmas, that's gone. So, you know, I, all I'm going to probably do with mine is like, I'm going to buy some, some shoes. Um, I get teased for buying shoes under $30. So I'm going to actually buy some real tennis. <laughs> I'm going to buy tennis shoes that's not that under $30. But they going to be uh, 3501 Probably so, because you know, you know. I'm a Gen Xer. We grew up and we grew up in a time where if you can get a barter, you get a barter. Uh, right. But yeah, Versus I feel me. yeah, but I feel old because I'm all I sound like somebody's parent. So I'm like, why would I pay $120 for tennis shoes when I can just pay $25? And I realize I sound like Bart Simpson's yeah. grandpa. You, you do you do sound a little experienced, <laughs> I'll say. But like I will pay. 120 for some shoes, especially some running shoes. Like, I will pay damn near $200 if I could for running shoes. But that is just me and my highfalutin ass. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. I, 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 that's, I'm trying to break out of that mode because I don't know where I become that person. Um, but it may be because living here, but it never was. I bet person. it has a lot to do living in. LA. Yeah, Michael drops $120 in shoes all the time. I'm just like, why would you do that when you can just get some nice shoes over here for like 20 like 26 What, at Marshalls? <laughs> you can! They all, <laughs> I learned that Marshalls get, there's the reason why they have, they do well with tennis shoes is because people can't afford them when they get at the regular store, so they just ship them over mm -hmm. there to get rid of them because you know, either they're a season behind or whatever, but not everybody's buying like they used to buy, and inflation is such a a thing. So, yeah, but yeah, I need to break out of that habit. I mean, if I can pay thirty dollars for plants, sometimes fifty dollars. I think that's different, though. Yeah, like before we go way off, and this becomes a econ <laughs> podcast uh, with. Uh, econ classes involved um i think plants are worth the money they are worth the money they are um but i need to be mindful that here i am complaining about the shoes but i will have no problems dropping 150 dollars for some gem doll or whatever like that so it, it's really funny i mean um, I'm, I'm glad that you said it because <laughs> i was going to say <laughs> yeah i'm i'm like oh there it is it's 150 dollars here take it i got it um only because now you can't get them anymore so when you get them it's like it and then when you get them they're like like the one i have nick will nick will know what this is so if you remember the third season of gem it's that it's that um commercial transition where it's like there's Rio on one side right on the other oh the one that's yeah uh-huh so they released those um you can get those three um it was 300 now it's over in some places it's two thousand dollars so my thing is never sell them they'll just be sitting in the box in the closet but they right. don't, exactly they don't, that's where they are right now which is why like why do i even do that but anyway we're not going to go any further down we're going to get into this conversation um well no nick you didn't talk about your thanksgiving what about your Thanksgiving? it was good um i went down to see my mom um uh, my sisters came and my older sister's uh fiance and her kid came 
my sister's uh, girlfriend and her daughters were sick. So they had the flu. So I was like, yes, stay home and away from us because we are not trying to get sick. But it was good. Um, decent conversations, good food. We had turkey, ham, mac and cheese, baked potato, not baked potatoes, mashed potatoes, potato salad, shrimp salad. Uh, there was an apple pie and some kind of berry custard, a berry crumble cake that my mom made. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, you know, it's usually low key. down here anyway i'm not trying to do anything you know festive and I, we always kind of keep it just between us four at least because mm -hmm. you know how family are yeah and nobody is trying to clean chitlins 50 pounds of chitlins oh and have the kitchen stuff I, I don't want to talk about that because <sighs> I, i'll never forget when my mama decided to do that and I had to help clean them and I never cleaned them before. I don't even eat them. And I was like, I don't, this is slave food. I protested. It was one year we did it. I protested with the family. I was like, this is slavery. This is what they ate. Slaves were eating. I'm not eating this. <laughs> we are built. And, <laughs> and I'll never forget my glory. I was like, boy, if you don't shut up and sit down. And right. Eat. Doing all that. But yeah, I, I will never, I will never eat chitlins or clean them. That smell. I can't get over that fucking smell. Like, yeah, sadly, growing up with them, you get used to them. But I just hated the fact that they were even because my stepfather loved them. And I was like, his country ass, of course, he's going to love them. Now it's stuck in the house. Cause mama got lazy. She didn't want to cook it, but he loved it. Mm -hmm. And I hated it. I just hated the feel of it. I just hated the fact they were in the house. But it and let's not, uh, it, Eating ass and eating chitlins are not synonymous. Okay, I don't care. Okay, how, <laughs> I was gonna. I was wondering if someone was gonna bring that up. I somebody said this on Twitter. It's like, oh, eating ass and uh, chitlins are the same thing. I'm like, first of all, how dare you? No, how dare no, you that's do not. That? That's not the I was same. Like, thing. no, that's not the same thing. Like even, like who who are they eat who who ass they eating if it's tasting like chitlins? That's the question. And stinking like chitlins. Like let's. Talk about the elephant in the room. If your ass is stinking like chitlins, you have a medical emergency and you need to see your physician immediately. There is no way you should your ass should be stinking like chitlins and then saying, oh, you can eat it too and put this person hot up. No. Why, why did that sound like like the disclaimer on like a pharmaceutical <laughs> like commercial? <laughs> if the ass smells like chitlins, please see a medical professional immediately. Or, or, or douche with your vanilla bean. But besides that, right. um, just don't do I, that. And I'm glad that person did not show up again. One year on Twitter, someone, you know, there was discussing douching techniques and they were saying, I think I, I think I mentioned that on here before that they put a vanilla bean in the water <laughs> wait a minute yeah they put a vanilla bean in there but they they put it in the night before and then you know just do so they, they let that do. water sit overnight with a mm -hmm. vanilla bean in it and then mm -hmm. proceeded to mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. i don't know if that's I have questions. Anally but you know what? Healthy? This is not that show. This is that's yeah, I, a different this, podcast. This, was... 
that's for the late night mega shane okay. where we discuss okay, those mega type shane of third shift right third shift and mega shane um but yeah let's get into wakanda forever um when was it released a couple of weeks ago Yes, Three weeks ago, still mm-hmm. going strong. It's um, it's almost, it's probably going to hit a billion. It's already doing really well. Catch that, Black Adam. But <laughs> Lord have mercy. Can we let's, let's let's give a quick moment? Can we give a quick moment of after seeing both movies? And um, this is not a brag, but actually having Mohammed Diab, who was the director of Moon Knight, come in. And I think one of the things he mentioned, um, one of the students talked about Black Adam or something like that. And, you know, it was, you know, being polite, you know, he said it helps to have someone from the background working on the film, you know, finding actors, finding the people who represent as much as you can. Um, Seeing Black Adam and knowing the history of Black Adam and knowing what it could have been, it was it really hurts because they could have took that to such a big level if they would have taken, like what if Ryan Coogler did Black Adam? Like what right. would that look like? It wouldn't, The Rock wouldn't probably be in that movie. Um, I don't know why The Rock, The Rock is going to play The Rock regardless of the role. So yeah. take that for what it is. Usually it's a bad thing, but... <laughs> Yeah, he he's like he he can't he can't act. And granted, he's what one of the most, if not the highest paid actor in yeah. Hollywood right now. He's, he's a big he's he's Arnold. He's I'm like Arnold just because you can make that money doesn't mean that you aren't a good actor. Like, or yeah, or to play such a complex character, you're not gonna really give it the range. No shade, Rock, but you're not gonna give that character because that character is very complex and you know after seeing now we can get on the one condo after seeing that i was just like i couldn't help but to think like wow what if someone took that type of care to that movie mm-hmm. imagine what that could have done for the dc universe or just done for you know for them to get it back on track you know as they are going back we'll and get forth. it on track because <laughs> no back they haven't been on track since the animated they, never been, they haven't been, yeah, they, they haven't been, been on track. So. <laughs> yeah, they, they have been on track, uh, but yeah, but you know, Wakanda forever. Let's just go ahead and get into it, um, because for one, it's two and a half hours, and it did not even feel like two and a half hours, mm-hmm. uh, and it was. It was really something else. But what we're going to do, y'all, is as we get into this, we're going to talk about the characters. Um, We'll get into, we'll talk about the story, but we'll talk about the, we'll start with the story and we'll get into the characters and then we'll get into things that we like and, and, or we probably could do without. um, And then our overall thing. So how did y'all feel about this story? Because we kind of went in with, they hit us with a rock. Like they hit well, more than a rock, they hit us with a truck. Yeah. How'd y'all feel with the beginning of it all? Uh, uh Chief, I'll let you I'll uh, let you start. Sure. I um I expected a funeral to start. 
I did not expect silence over the the Marvel Studios logo. And, you know, I expected the fanfare or something. Um, and they dropped us into like a classic episode of like ER or Grey's. And and it was it, it, it was surprising that a movie that we had been told for the last year was about the cast and crew dealing and processing with their grief and trauma that they put something like that on screen. And it kind of put us into it, you know, as fans. Um, in a way, I was I was not expecting that. I I I, I had a different expectation of how they were going to introduce us to that. You know, the 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 dying off screen is one thing, but when you put us in those frantic final moments, especially given that everything on screen is like Wakanda forever is this magical place, or Wakanda is this magical place, and we could do they can do all these things with science and yet there was this complete failure of that belief and that mythology in that moment um yeah it 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 it, it tore my heart out threw it down the street and spit on it it just didn't care about my feelings in that that first little sequence yeah i it's it's like we knew the outcome because you know chadwick had already passed so we know that they were that we're not going to make it. They're not going to be successful. And yeah, you're right. The the silence, like you could have, a pin could have dropped in my theater and mm -hmm. it was just so, it wasn't, the word, not eerie, just profound in a way or haunting because you know what the movie, you try to set yourself up for this because you are going to a funeral in a matter of speaking, or a send-off, I'll say. But once you're actually there, you can't... You can't determine how you're going to feel. And I felt... I tried to... I didn't want to see it, the movie when I was in Vegas because, A, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to say goodbye because I know there's not going to be any more Chadwick. And for him to step into that kind of role and give such representation and then he's not there anymore. It just felt, it, it's just tough to deal with. And, you know, given that we're still coming out of the effects of COVID-19 and the pandemic and the holidays where our loved ones that we've lost over the years are not there, it just kind of confounded how I felt. But, and it was emotional. It was, it's hard to say goodbye to somebody that he could, he shouldn't, he didn't like reveal what he was going through, which I, I want to talk about later. Um, but it, it was just hard. It was just hard to deal with. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was tough when they came in with the, the beginning it was very silent, but then to see with them trying to save his life, save his life in the movies, Chinchala life in the movie, and to see how Shuri was reacting in a way that it must have been tough for that character because again, that character always had a solution for something. You know, you think about you think about the the first Black Panther and how she was like able to get things done. You think about Endgame and and you know the role she played in Endgame making sure they could like, we can do this, we can get this taken care of, it's gonna take a lot of work, but we can do it. 
Um, and she always had a solution and she did not. And you saw that in her face, you saw it in her actions. But from the queen, Ramonda, you saw, it was something about the way she was when she was like, you know, he's gone. It was just that you could also kind of see the pain in her. Cause again, it was something that she did not, you know, of course she didn't want it, but you can feel it. There was like, you know, this is happening. And as queen, I have to be strong for the people, but my family, what's left of my family. And so that was really something where I was like, wow, okay, okay. But it was interesting because as you go through the movie, that scene played so much um, about what this movie was about. And even when she said like, I have to tell you something about your brother um, and just wasn't able to get that part out. It was like, this was setting us up for, this is bigger than what we think it will be. Um, but it was a lot. And I was like, goodness, you already got me already mm -hmm. sitting here. And so when we begin with that, that was that was like, okay, I'm I'm in. I'm I'm I can't even I can't look away. I can't really breathe. It's time for us to get into the story. Right. Uh, so we have the uh basically the actual death of T'Challa. And I believe the next scene is the funeral or the procession of the funeral. So this this scene reminded me of uh, something uh, that would happen in uh, New Orleans. It had that jovial, uh, we're not saying goodbye, we're saying until next time. It, it didn't feel like it was supposed to be a typical uh some of the send-offs that we're used to around uh the US. But what did you all think of that that scene and the white I I love so Ruth uh Carter, go ahead and send her her next Oscar because the the costumes throughout this movie were just I was like, how is she gonna take it to the next level and Wakanda forever, and she did. It was, it was just a beautiful, beautiful scene to me. Yeah, I, you know, as you were describing it right there, I was thinking about um, two months ago we had um, the Queen's funeral, and how, like, to us that seemed it, it. It, I mean, talk about a totalitarian state, like you had to announce that on radio, on TV, at bus stops, like okay. stores had to put posters up and it was just everywhere. And it, and it, it looked weird. Like looking at it, it looked weird, like all the footage of it and the wide shot of this funeral with everyone in white standing on buildings, standing along the roadways and the sidewalks that looked that looked different. It had a different emotion to it, it had a different element to it. Um, because it didn't seem to necessarily be about the person it it was it was more about like that that connection that person had to the entire city the entire populace um and so it was it was, it was it's an interesting contrast because it had this if the movie came out around the same time that probably would have been a, a point that a lot more people would have been talking about is like how do how do you honor a monarch in a way that doesn't seem like you're invested in like systems of power, oppression, those kinds of things. Um, 
And so I think that there's there was something to to that, that, that I'm thinking in retrospect now watching that, like that felt like a beautiful moment. Yet when we saw it two months ago play out in the real world in the UK, that didn't feel like a beautiful moment. Maybe I didn't, I don't know, maybe I don't have attachment. And some people did have attachment to the queen, um, to Queen Elizabeth, but um, there's something there. There's something that ha- that should be looked at a little deeper in that, the contrast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I agree. Uh, go ahead, Victor. No, I was just going to say that it was, it was very beautiful, the use of white. I looked it up because... Um, I was writing a funeral scene. And so I was trying to remember, you know, how could I describe it? What will be the, you know, what what are the words to use? And I looked it up and it was like, it is, it was more of a celebration than anything. And it felt like a celebration when you saw the colors, um, just, or the face paint, rephrase that. Um, the face paint, the look, the white, um, it, w- it was just like, it's at peace, we at peace, and we're going to enjoy the life that we had with with him. And it was just, it was really nice. It was really nice and the way it was just set up was just, it just felt perfect and it felt like it was respectful and it felt like, it helped me kind of ease into like, I'm at peace with him moving forward. Mm-hmm. And Chief, you mentioned the, the juxtaposition between the Wakandan funeral versus the queen's funeral and the systems of power that it both uphold and that echoes as far throughout the movie as far as like imperialism and colonialism uh when we talk about namor's is namor right or sort namor's um background and his reasoning on why he's as fierce of a king as he could because he wasn't like an anti he wasn't an actual villain for me he was basically a king trying to look out for his people by any means necessary just like so many kings and royalty have in the past but um i forgot where i was going with this shit uh victor go ahead though what's the next thing (laughs) So we get we get into um, we're in the ocean. They are looking for vibranium, and they find it. Now this group, um, it's not really said who they are, um, but we kind of know they are you know working for government in some form or fashion. Um, and then they they get a little bit too close, and they get that wake up call of like, um, here you are, you colonizing, we're coming for you, and. The introduction of them, the Atlantean, that's not really what they are, but they are at the same time. Telecons are. Yeah, yeah. It's not the Atlantis that everybody probably think it is. Let Let me just put that out there. But they came out using so much and, you know, it was like, okay, they're coming, but they were fierce in their attack. Um, And they made sure that um, it was more than a warning. It was like, no, we're not just letting you leave. <laughs> we're taking all of you out. And this is just how it's going to be. But you kind of saw how they all, like Narita and and Atuma led this group. And so you really saw how they were going. And if y'all not familiar with any of them, Narita is 
te technically Namor's cousin. Atuma is a ruler kind of, he's almost, it's funny because he, if you read the comics, he's very problematic. He has always caused issues. He he fought with Phoenix at one point uh, to a standstill. So um, it's a very interesting character, but to see them really, you know, kind of give us an idea of what we were dealing with was really, really neat. And I wanted to quickly jump back to um, the 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 scene at the UN um, uh. because that came a little bit before um, where the Queen Ramonda was being basically called to the carpet about why they won't, you know, give any of their goods to help people and everything else. And what I love is um, when you realize why they won't do it, but then how, you know, basically the scene was they were at a, at a, I, I can't remember where they were, but they were, they were somewhere where it was a, you know, they were kind of trying to come and get vibranium, vibranium, um, and it was like, where is it? Where is it? And then it was like, oh, it's in there. And they opened the door, and Dora Lange is sitting up there, ready to go, and just really giving us the reason why. If you did not know about the Dora Milaje, that was a great reminder of who they were. Um, and they kind of kicked some ass. But I really love the fact that when they were at the UN, um, Queen Ramonda was like, um, and whoever brought these little rogues to my house or came to our little place, you can have them right back. And I think it was France. I think France was the one who did that. Let's talk, can we talk about how, like they could have killed them yeah. easily. The Dora could have killed them instead of example that way. Instead, uh, Wakanda gave them a reprieve and said, like, don't cross us again, bitch, because you want what we have and you cannot have it because we've seen repeatedly how y'all act when you have power. You act like you don't give a damn. So why would then will we share with you the most important and strongest element in this earth when we have evidence and examples of you acting like this? It, it, it was like, like why, why do it? So I'm glad that they showed that that scene. I was also glad that there wasn't that much white people in the movie because it wasn't about them, but it just showed you how white people and their actions are. Um, and they just can't get away out of imperialism and colonialism and everything is derived from a need or a want that they have. Um, I did enjoy that that whole scene where Ramonda was telling them, like, this is why. This is why I, you cannot be trusted. This is why you cannot have this product. This is why we will remain in the position that we've always did we always have because of this. I was um I was talking to somebody about that, about how they 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 said that they felt a certain kind of pain looking at how the movie featured this black on brown violence and how there was not like this this sort of union this coming together this alliance um but i think it i think it misses the point like the setup was look what white people do to other communities they set us against each other mm -hmm. in in ways that it may be unintended consequences but 
their actions will precipitate these things. Right. And it's, it's like that. I think that, I think we were supposed to understand that from the beginning that it's not Talokan versus Wakanda for its own sake. Like, it's not like this was just like came out of nowhere. Um, it wasn't organic. It was because of look what these white folks and colonizers are going to continue to do. And like, so perfect that it was, um, it was the, the French government doing it right. Because, you know, they don't get talked about a lot about what they have done as colonizers, even into, you know, the 20th and 21st centuries, um, especially when it comes to Africa, when it, you know, relative to Haiti, et cetera. Like there was, there was definitely a reason why we see France doing this and not like the UK, like the UK is the one that everyone targets. People forget about Spain and France a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's very true. Um, because it was very interesting. And, um, just to see their response because they were very vocal in the in, in that scene and I was like how y'all gonna be talking like that and it was very interesting because someone pointed out to me there was like of course it's a white woman um who you know <laughs> and I was like oh lord okay <laughs> so I was like yeah that's a lot with that one but it was a very I thought it was a very great scene because it reminded everyone and it also knew people who've never seen um, Black Panther who is the queen, what is Wakanda, and what is their power? Um, so that was really neat. I also like that, you know, we were, we were, you know, we got to see some of the favorites of, of, the, of, the, of the girls, you know, that kind of come in there. Koe, um, I cannot remember. Ayo. Yeah. And then we got um, some new ones that we got to see and all that too. So that was really nice just to kind of see that, but also kind of see, again, why they are very powerful, but also feared. They're still feared as this country, as this very advanced country. So let's get into, so we, 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 we've been somewhat introduced um, to many of the characters at this point, kind of, but then it's a part, part where Queen Wanda takes Shuri to go and kind of get her to like relax and to release, um, you know, some of the guilt and things she had over her brother's death. And that's where we really get to meet no more. He just comes on up. Can we, before we uh, introduce uh, Namor, can we talk about the, the conversation that Shuri and Ramonda has as far as this whole um, way of how they talk about death is kind of trans, is generational like uh shuri reminded me of the people like my generation who is questioning religion and god and the afterlife and if there is a god and what happens when we do pass on is a reincarnation is it some of these versus you know black people who grew up in the church and there's one god and you always got to go to church and got to go to church like five days a week that I think I don't know if it's being talked about enough. I don't know, Chief. What did you think of that particular scene? You know, I think I, I think it added to what the what what Phase Four was all about. It was um, 
what is grief and what is death itself? You know, we saw this, these different perspectives on afterlife. Um, and, and this is one of those reasons why you don't necessarily have to see Moon Knight to understand phase four, but that opens up the mythology into how many different afterlives there are, different planes, different ways of communicating with folks who have moved on. Um, and it really sort of sets that about the, it's just another another level of existence um, in a very similar way to, I mean, even in Thor, Love and Thunder, you know, when you get to eternity and how this is just a different kind of existence. Um, so I think I think that it, it, it helped to to push that 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 the MCU is trying to do. I mean, even WandaVision, if you, you know, these two uh, works of phase four as kind of bookends, um, really being about grief and how we process uh, grief and death. But, you know, Wanda had had vision and it was like he she created vision in, you know, her in um, in her little town as a piece of her. You know, there was this like this constant connection between her and she was just able to create something, create life because of her superpower. But it still existed as a sort of um, manifestation of her grief and her memory and her love of, of vision. And it it just that's where, where that part, that conversation was just sticking for me is pushing that mythology in the MCU into different planes of existence, into life and death, into grief. Um, and I think that this is something I mean, even for Color Block, we we contemplated doing a whole collection on grief way back in 2020 um, and how we process that. And over the last two years, you've seen so many works of fiction and nonfiction and um, other you know media outlets that, for queer, feminist, Black folks talking about grief. And I think that this was just another way of, of pushing that into what is our understanding of death itself and into the afterlife. That is also a necessary aspect of processing our grief. Right, that I think leads into a, a bigger discussion as far as how do specifically black women deal with grief when they are in a position of power such as Ramonda, such as Shuri, how they don't have enough space to allow themselves to grieve um, versus a character like Wanda everybody had to deal with her grief, whether they like wanted to or not. And that is such a, I will always go against Wanda because <laughs> she kidnapped the town yeah. and that other part, and I don't think anybody made the connection, like everybody was supposed to deal with her grief. And remember Alfre Woodard's character, I think it was in Civil War, yeah, that mm. she was pissed off that they killed her son, but Again, she was in a position that she couldn't grieve. She wasn't able to grieve or how she grieved was looked down upon or she had to not take anger at the people who actually killed her boy. So that, I would love to get you all to take on Black women in grief in Wakanda. I felt like It was no, it was like they, it's interesting because you think about Queen Ormonda, she comes from a time where it's like, these things happen, we have to let them transcend, burn the clothes to kind of release that, the feeling and what have you. And that is something that, you know, has been passed down from generation to generation. You get to Shuri, Shuri's like, no, I, I, I can't get over this. I can't process this. I can't 
it's you know because in some way she still blames herself so it's it's very for me it felt like they don't have the complete luxury because Ramonda's queen she had to be strong for everyone she had to make these decisions she had to meet with everybody and let's do all their opinions you know you got especially when you got Mbaku coming in you know talking about <laughs> your guards are trash basically <laughs> and just dealing with all of that she's had she wasn't allowed to really do that but in her own way she did deal with it um and I think that's what's probably hitting some of us is like she was able just to keep moving on. But, you know, again, you think about some of our mothers or aunts or grandmothers, they always had to keep moving on because it was like, I still got to get food on the table. I still got to make sure the kids are going to school. I can't worry about, you know, this nigga acting up. I can't worry about life. I can't worry about this job. I got to make sure all the things that's in my reach is taken care of. And you, know, you think about the queen, Wakanda is in her we her reach. Shuri is in her reach. All those things had to be taken care of to keep moving through. But then when they meet the more, and the more comes in talking about like, this is what, you know, this is what I've been told. This is the the life we supposed to have had. Um, it just kind of did a different spin on in a sense of like, what is, you know, a place that, you know, they're dealing with grief and all that stuff. He's looking at this place as it's freedom. Um, and so that was an interesting take for me to see, like, again, didn't have time to grieve because here he comes talking about, I want all this and you need to, like, share this with us. I, I think, Victor, you, yeah, and, and Nick, both talking about Black women grieving, I think that that was something that, a lot of us noticed even from the from the moment the trailer dropped that when Ramonda is talking, you know, when she's giving her speech of speeches, like that line, it's those lines itself, that's worthy of the Oscar performance. But it you could tell that this was from the perspective of black women in general. Like this was not just her talking. This was like telling the story and the voice for a lot of black women in 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 society at the time, right? Like that's something that I think Ryan Coogler does really well is um, one finds ways to layer in contemporary politics and social situation at the same time, centering the experiences and perspectives of women in the work. And, and that was what we saw, like the, the women of Wakanda were mourning and grieving this entire time, not really being allowed to, which is reflective of like society, right? Like you said, like when can black women really grieve without also giving up the fact that, you know, talk about connective tissue in an, in an entire community. And that, you know, that's really what, what we kind of saw. We, we, he was telegraphing and they were telegraphing this from the trailer when she was giving her line that this was going to be about the women of Wakanda grieving different ways in, um, and, and relative to their own position in power. And, and, and it didn't, it almost didn't matter that they, whether they had power or not, everyone was just kind of not even doing it right. Like people, like, and that's, I think what, we're supposed to see is everyone made really bad decisions while they were grieving and really like I mean I, I want to say shooting from the hip but even when Ramonda like like demoted the general it was just like that that I don't think that was a smart decision but she was grieving she was frustrated and that's one of the 
sort of um, key points of this storytelling is that you don't have to be perfect is that you can also make mistakes and fail and that's okay. And that's part of the grieving process rather than the expectation of the sort of strong black woman trope that's going to hold it all together and still sort of govern and make the best decisions through everything. It was like, no, these weren't necessarily the best decisions, but I think that's the point. Exactly that. Um, And I, I, this is, way into the future and I hope somebody is able to make this tissue this connection between when storm is introduced whenever that may be I would love for them to because you know how if storm does not have her emotions in check then it could run wild her powers I would like for that kind of thread about black women having to keep their emotions in check to be revisited because I think the Wakandans can help teach her a lesson as far as harnessing that rage versus always having to monitor your emotions. And I know that may or may not fit right now, but I kind of made that connection. But um, so Namor is introduced and you know, he gives them an ultimate, basically he gave them an ultimatum, like, you're either with me or you're against me, basically. And do you think Namor was right in that I, I want, what, do you think Namor was right in to give them that yes or no, basically, you're either with me or against me or a friend or an enemy? That's a that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a tough question, um, because it uh, you know and there was criticism. I, I I mean Twitter criticism. You could take it for what it's worth, but there was criticism of the end of the of the first movie and the way T'Challa decided to open up Wakanda to the world. Um, and some people said, "Why? Like what for?" And I think that what we got from Namor is more of that, why would you dare? Like, why would you ever? You know what they're going to do with it. You know what they're going to do. Like, you can build a bridge and that's fine. And that was like a wonderful closing and response to um, the politics of the world at the time, you know, like building walls or barriers versus building bridges and, and doors. Um, but I think that that's, I think that's what Namor was was basically saying. It's, it's, I'm telling you this is an either or, but not from me, but more of an either or from this is going to happen. And that's those were his final words too. It's like, that's fine. We got to live another day, but it's going to happen. And when it happens, they're going to come running and to us to form an alliance. Um, so I, I don't, I mean, would I do that? Give someone an ultimatum? No, but I would probably tell them clearly and directly, like, if you don't, they're going to come for you. And then I think I saw the other day that that was kind of hinted at as part of the original script is, but it, it was going to be more of a military invasion of Wakanda. Yeah, I do. I think, I think in his approach, it was a, a desperate approach in a way of like, we have to do this because if not, they're going to come for us. You already saw what happened. They, they will keep doing this. They'll keep going. He's coming from perspective of what he saw when he was growing up and why they left. Um, but also a part of me was like, but he's also wanting to 
kind of live his mother's dream. His mother talked about living in the sun, being in the, you know, even though they were a part of the water, she wanted, she wanted to go back. He wanted that for his people because in some ways it felt like we have our own safe haven, but we're down here. I want more and we'll have to get, we'll have to burn the world to get what we deserve because we've been pushed down here. Now, some people will say, but you were free down there. You were able to, everybody was, it looked like they were having a great time when we went down, you know, into their, in, in our home. But at the same time, I think he was looking at it like, yeah, but my mom was forced to make that decision to live there. Um, and she was also worried about his birth. Um, and so therefore he wanted that and felt like maybe they were too, the Wakandans were too casual or too cavalier with what they have and they're not willing to open it or share it or make it to where other people can enjoy the sunlight. And if you want to say it that way. And I think that's why he came the way he did to them. I thought, cause I, but at the same time, I thought like it was a little disrespectful. I'm like, sir, you don't, they don't know you. You don't know them. So you can't be coming up in somebody's house yeah. empty-handed like that. Right. Like, like if I was reminded, like, well, what you got for us? If we're going to do this, what you going to give us? going to give us a couple of whales? What, what, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like his his whole approach was just to like literally walk into their house and to like start talking about like the furniture and everything like he was about to move in. Yeah, he, he really in. did that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, sir, you might be cute and all, but you can't be coming up in here acting up like this. We ain't even, we ain't established no rules. We ain't, you know, I ain't did, get on my knees. We ain't, something ain't happened yet. Now, wait a minute. Yeah, to be making these type of situations. These type of demands. I'm like, he's talking. that cousin that comes in at Thanksgiving, didn't bring anything, but yet waiting and asking when dinner is. Like, he's that kind of cousin. Yeah, and, and, and complaining about the food. This I don't like this turkey. I'm like, well, you, you know, he's that person. You're right. And 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 we'll still take it to go play. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Y'all didn't want it anyway. I was gonna have it. Like, and and probably the last one to leave. You know, like still sit up or watching your free TV, like what I got on Netflix. He's that type of person. <laughs> and I just felt like when he came in, I was like, you know, I was feeling how he was talking about it. Cause it was, I have to admit, it was, it was kind of romantic how he was kind of talking through all that. And I was like, okay, you got me. But then I was like, wait a minute, you have basically told us this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, all right, all right. But it was just like, okay what are they going to do? And then they had a discussion about who he was. And I, and I love when Mbaku was like, well, he's not this, the fish man, this fish man coming up in here doing this. And if it was up to his, his tribe, they would have already taken care of this situation. But, you know. Just like some cute dogs. Yeah, basically. They were coming <laughs> in like cute dogs acting up. But it was just really interesting because Namor already knew what he was going to do. He was like, we're going to stop them. And the, the, what they're using is made by this person. So we're going to find out who the scientist is and we're going to kill them. I'm like, okay, goodness, you, this is the plan. But it made me think about like what we would have done as a people if we had that power during slavery, what we would have done. We would have probably went like, oh, if we knew like who, 
we'll go kill all the masters. Like, you know, we'll go kill all the people who's responsible, all the masters, take over the land, do all that type of stuff. And probably say to other slaves, like, either you join us or you not. If you don't join us, we're taking you out too. Because y'all will take us out. You will tell them where we are. Almost like you think about how Harriet was. It was like, I will shoot you if you are, if you're not trustworthy. It, it kind of made me think a little bit about that. Like, what if we were able to do um, that during slavery? We were like, we're going to liberate people. But if you're not coming with us, you're literally against us. It made me think of it like, okay, I can see it in that way. Because it's like, if you're not, you're going to tell the master on us. You're going to tell what, exactly what we're doing. So we got to get rid of you too. And maybe that's what he was thinking, that if you don't join us and you, that means you are against us, that means you would fight against us trying to be free in that sense or to come back. So I don't know. I, I go back and forth with him. I, I still think it was a little bit disrespectful. Could have worked something out, but it didn't go that way. So they end up going after Riri. So I guess we should talk about the introduction of Riri Williams in this movie. I'm going to be controversial here. I love the character. I absolutely love where they're going to take the character, but I also think the story did not need Riri Williams at all. Um, I felt that about Riri. I also felt that about um, about Val and uh, uh, what's his name? What's uh, Bilbo? What's his name? The actor? Yeah. 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 I felt I felt like that those two um, took away from the main story. And especially at two hours, 41 minutes, um, we could have either cut some minutes or we could have delved deeper into some of the processing of grief and some of the deeper emotional points. Um, but I, I absolutely love Riri. I love the character. Um, just how uh, like how excited she is when she is like like doing what she is good at. Um, I love that. I absolutely love that because we saw we got to see. I mean, we've gotten to see Iron Man have fun. We've gotten to see uh, Will Tom Holland have fun, but like we haven't seen anyone else. You know, it was nice to see Ms. Marvel and Kamala Khan have fun as a superhero. And now we got to see Riri have fun as a superhero. Um, and that's nice. That's really nice to see. Like I was excited for her, but I also th don't think that the story. <laughs> I, I, I think that's accurate. Yeah, in my eyes, yeah. Oh, oh, wow. I didn't mind her in the story. I thought it was interesting to have her in the Wakanda. There was a part of me that felt like you have to put all the Black characters in the Black movies just because. Um, <laughs> but I kind of like that that was the way because when she's introduced in the comics, it's because of Tony. Um, he discovered her because she was able to do something that he, he needed that help for. Um, but I didn't mind the way she was introduced. I love how we see her, you know, she's the runaway girl, but she's also kind of the girl that, I love that, that she was so excited about the Wakanda. She was like, oh, oh, I'm about to be recruited. You know, I'm like, and it was like, good. I like the fact that we recognize the Wakandans as royalty in this world. And so when she saw them, she was like, oh my God, you know? And it was really nice um, to see how she was acting. But like Chief Sale, it was nice to see her in her element. She was able to get things done. She knew how to do it. Um, and she was very confident in that. Um, I love that she was, you know, also, you know, you know, kind of on the side, her side hustle, like working with the students, like, you know, I, I'll handle this if you do this, you know, pay me this, pay me that. Um, but it was really neat. And 
I love when, you know, when actually hit as soon as, you know, as soon as I'm Shuri and Akoya got there, it was like, we need to take you back, what have you. But then all of a sudden here comes Val and all those people. But then you also, you got, you know, here come Atuma and all of them showing up on that bridge. And again, I feel like this movie is reminding people how powerful these characters are because we really saw Koi. Now, if you remember back in uh, Black Panther, when they were in, I can't remember if they were in Korea, there was in somewhere um, where they were fighting and we got to see Koi take on a lot of those people on her own. To see Koi fight Atuma and Narita, it was just like, okay. But then to see like when we think that you know she done killed the people, they all laid out here and they got right back up. I was like, mm -hmm. ma'am, okay, I don't know about this. I know you are a great warrior. And you I know. thought they was gonna take her out that scene. I was like, oh, so we're gonna lose somebody else in this fucking movie. Uh I love the the stunt work, um, the fighting choreography and I thought that, what was his name, Atuma? Mm -hmm. He finally, he felt like he finally found a worthy opponent because there was that scene where he kicked to her stick back up to her. It was like, no, let's, I, I am honored to fight you in a sense because mm -hmm. some people of, uh, that don't lack melanin would take you and kill you. You know, there, there's no sense of honor when it comes to fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat that like that yeah that that fight scene was probably one of the best fight scenes I've, I've seen in a marvel movie um and i think one of the things was um there was some there was like a mute that mutual sort of honor thing but i also felt like there was a, a certain brutality to that fight mm -hmm. um especially the one that like dislocated akoya's shoulder like uh, that that just when she hit and and it had you know, we, we talk about uh, um, visual effects and how they don't have like good physics. And so you can't like feel it. That fight seemed like it had really good physics. And if they're saying that it took them months to choreograph it and to film it and to get it right, like I could see, um, because I was, um, I talked about this with with my best friend after we saw it. And I, I think we agreed that that was actually one of the best fight scenes of the movie. And like, I wish it would have been later on, not like at the beginning of the movie, but but so good. So, so good. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was worried. I was worried at first. I was like, OK, she was holding her own. But when they got back up, I was like, OK, <laughs> this, this is not, you know, your average. These are not, you know, the vigilantes. These are not the, you know, the dark ops, the black ops that they've dealt with before. These are. Or even when you think about the creatures, when they was dealing with those creatures um, in um, Infinity War, this was something totally different. Right. And it There's was a like... certain um, brutality mm. that the Atlanteans fight with that I find very refreshing from a MCU standpoint because uh, I think this is like a indication of how they how they act with different tribes so as far as their brutality and fighting and talking and kind of, you know, the politics of politics. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed that they're fighting how uh, raw it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much as with uh, Okoye, how elegant she is when she's fighting. It's almost as, well, it, it, it is a dance between her and her sphere versus the grit with the Atlanteans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was something else. And I think when you can tell that even in that scene, she was, you know, you could tell that she's willing to die. She was willing to go for it and, and finish this off. But they, you know, once they had what they needed, you know, that was it. And I felt like, okay, they now have Shuri and they have Riri in the situation now. So we now get into, we're going, we're going down into the kingdom. We're going down there um, where, you know, when they wake up, Shuri's all, you know, she's about to be, you know, they, they're giving her like, here's, you know, the clothes that you wear for here, all that stuff. And there was this sense of like, we're not going to doing any harm because Nemour wants to talk with you. He wants to have this conversation. Um, and then when we have that conversation, that's where I, I was like, okay, you, you were seeing where it's like, okay, I feel like he was like, maybe my approach was a little strong, but <laughs> this is what I would like for us to do. Let's burn the world because they will burn us if they had a chance. Um, but if not, I'm, you know, I'm still going to kill Riri or, you know, I'm like the way he was like, doing that and talking about that it was like you still but when you break it down for what it is you still are going to do what you're going to do but also in that scene we got a little bit of the history of him where he came from his family his mother and then how he was introduced to um and i have to go back and look at it the, the particular time where he when they came out of the sea and they saw how the, his people were treated um or the people they were descended from were treated um and the stance he took as a child because he was like maybe a teenager or what have you um but or close to being teen but that's just what the stance he took as a child and how you know it kind of reminded me of like like us did not have a chance to just grow up and be a kid grew up in royalty grew up like i have to do this decision i can't play around i'm not like um harry and you know john or wherever the other i can't remember another prince name there's no harry but um charles second i don't know whoever that his name is they don't have that luxury like oh it's us we're getting pictures look at us we get to do all this fun stuff it was like no at age 10 i had to go up here and fight the colonizers and do all this stuff like that so that was very fascinating um, just to see his origin, um, but to see the beauty of how that was played out, like his birth and the, the, you know, how his mother was really about protecting him and, and all that, that was just really beautiful to see. It was also very interesting to hear him say, I am a mutant. So it made me wonder, where did you, where did you come up with that? Um, and that made me wonder, where does that originate from? that word right i was i was reading some burning questions um from a site and they were maybe theorizing that his mutant dna was because of uh vibranium but then that doesn't make sense because if that's the case then everybody in wakanda would be a mutant 
So I don't know how they could justify that. Um, I want to like his go back going back to Namor and maybe his justification. Do you remember um, that Justice League episode where Wonder Woman found out she had a sister? So on um, Justice League, uh, I think her name was uh, Eurasia or something. It was actually a really black name that she had. Um, her sister is trying to kill off all the men. And because she felt the men, men in her lives have did her extremely wrong. And it was, uh, there was a, a conversation between Hawkgirl and Wonder Woman saying, isn't this just the next level from how the mascara is no men? So I think Namor and Shuri's justification on how they protect their kingdoms is in fact similar, but definitely different. Like they, they want the same thing, just the means to those ends are completely different. I'm just I'm the... <laughs> yeah no I'm I'm because I'm what I'm trying to do is like I'm trying to think about um it is it, I'm trying to think about the differentiation between Namor's approach and Killmonger's approach like he wanted to watch the you know burn it all down like literally right and then then Ashuri said that it was Namor different and how was he different um was he being more of a revolutionary, whereas Killmonger was just replacing who's in power at the top, right? A Wakandan empire versus like actual like protection of the kingdom and protection of people. Um, there is a, there is obviously a difference there. Um, but what, what kind of difference, like what substantive difference? Um, and, and is this, is this more of a critique, critique on like royalty empire, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I want to, you know, bring in something that, that Victor had said about, um, about what Namor saw, Namor saw as a child. And there may be something in that when you've seen 500 years of this over and over and over versus the, the sort of memory that you pass down between peoples and families and a community, um, maybe it's different. It becomes more visceral when you actually like lived through it. And so maybe there's, a, there's something there to Namor and why he wants to respond the way he wants to respond. You know, he, he might've seen different ways that people tried to approach, um, you know, these colonizers and they never worked. Like if you play nicely and that might be where, where he's coming from. Yeah, I can see that because as you mentioned it, 500 years of watching a lot of stuff, you think about not only just seeing, you know, the slave ships, I'm thinking of like everything that has to involve with the ocean, the slave ships, but also the wars. Um, World War One, World War Two, you know, the fact of all this, you know, the fleets and all that stuff going on there. Um, hell, and for anybody who's like, what do you mean the World War? Think about if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, the beginning, um, basically with them coming on shore. But just thinking about all of those situations, um, nineteen seventeen, all that type of stuff we're giving, we're dealing with the torpedoes and, and the submarines and everything that was happening in the war and, and the craziness. And then to see that it has not changed. I think in a lot of ways, that's why he was like, okay, we've seen enough. 
we're going to have to do this. And again, I think it was out of, I don't want to keep saying desperate, but it was like, this is, this is it. This is dire straits. We have to do what we have to do or they will come for us. And I think he even said that to them, like, they're going to come for you. Wakanda. They're already coming for you. That means they'll be coming for us uh, once they discover where they are and have you. So it's, again, it was hard for me. I was like, yeah, we could burn the world together. But what will happen once that's done? How do we even discuss who will be in power? And it seems like you want to be in power because it doesn't seem like you're going to stop there. And to know no more, as a character throughout the comics, he is very straight to the point, if not arrogant, about how he will do anything, even from stealing your own woman. He has no problems saying that. He will tell Reed Richards, like, you're not worthy for Sue. I'm going to take her. Um, even when he was messing around with Emma, Emma Frost, he was basically saying, he even said, you know, Scott, at the time, for those who don't yeah, that's know. That's a cute-ass couple, though. All that arrogance between those yeah. two. Yeah. So for those that don't know that at one point um, in the comics, uh, Emma Frost was dating Cyclops. I hated that. But anyway, they were dating because Jean was dead, supposedly. And at one point, um, they are, you know, coming together because, again, mutants are always attacked. Namor is a mutant, and he was working with Emma, and he actually told Emma, he was like, why are you with this dude? He's not even worthy of you. He actually put doubt in Emma to where they they, they end up having an affair, um, to where he was convinced. She was convinced. Um, but anyway, Lamar is, he is that, he's very convincing, but also I still feel that he was going at it a certain way that just wasn't going to end well for anyone. Um, because he's like, we're going to do what we have to do. And again, it goes back to if you're not with me, you're against me. And so I'll take I'll have to take you out too. Um and that's where now we, we kind of move from from there. We get to see Nakia, because Nakia comes back into the picture once we learn um that you know Sherry and Riri are are not captured, but they're kind of, you know, down and you know, down in, down in the water deep. But the funny thing is, we have to jump back to the, the big scene when McCoy had to go back and tell the queen what happened. And that's where we kind of mentioned before, we were dealing with the queen being like, I've lost everything and you were in charge. But like, you know, what was funny, because I, I kind of chuckled a little bit, you know, like how your mama would do when you've done something wrong, but they like to go back and pull everything that you did like, hey, remember last year when you did this too? And like, we talked about what I did today, but now you don't brought back everything I did. Ramonda brought back everything that Okoye did, which it was, it was true. It was facts. But I was like, what? Well, but like Chief was saying, was that the time to do that? Right, exactly. I, I think that, I mean, that scene was everyone coming at Ramonda and she was just like, she was over it. She was over everybody in that room. And I mean, she, she probably could have done worse if it weren't for Namor. But like it, that's what her response was. I think that that was a a sort of trauma response, a grief response of like, like I know that I have limited power, but everyone around me is just like fucking up. And can somebody not fuck up? Because this is just getting worse and I cannot bear it all on my own. 
Um, and yeah, I don't think it, I, I, I don't think from, you know, I, in the story, it, it helped move things forward because you got to see that it was very hard to watch. It was hard to watch Okoye get dressed down like that. And um, I mean, I guess we're, you know, we're supposed to have respect for her as, as a protector, as her skill level. And she was already hurting. She already knew she had messed up, but then she got told um, it's hard, right? It's hard. It's one thing to know it inside, but then when someone tells us, it's like, damn. Um, but I, I, I think that that was just that. It was more grief response. It was just, Ramonda was not processing it, not able to. And so she was just like, fine, fuck everybody around me. Absolutely. I think uh, Okoye, she looked more hurt than, than when T'Challa got dusted because she served not only the king, but she served Wakanda in such a proud manner. And to have her, you know, dressed down like that in front of everybody, she, you just read all over her face that she couldn't take it. Yeah, that was a tough scene. Cause I was like, wait a minute. I was like, but hold up. I was like, what you say is, is, is true, Ramonda. But at the same time, Okoye was doing her best. And I think that Okoye wasn't able to really, like when you saw that hurt in her face, you were seeing where, of course, Okoye was blaming herself because she even was saying that beforehand. But also I'm thinking as, you know, Ramonda's bringing up all of her stuff, that's also reminding Okoye, like, yes, there were times I failed or when, yeah, when Killmonger came in, we had to serve him because that, that was the order of how the laws are even though some people did break off, Nakia did break off, like people did break off and did what they needed to do. It was hard because it was like, I, you know, Ramana's talking about like, I've done everything for all of you. Koi is like, I have too, but she could not speak out of turn. You know, it's like, cause you know, a part of me was like, no, you need to let her know what you've been doing. I'm the one out here fighting. I'm the one out here risking my life while you get to sit and wear these, uh, these pretty ass headdresses. I'm out here, doing all of the ground work. That that would have been me being petty. Like, I ain't got nothing else to lose, so I'm going to tell you about you. But, <laughs> and yeah, Ramonda was right. They had to go all the way to the Jabari tribe up in the, in the snowy mountains to, you know, to get, to save um, Jakarta. Uh, Jaka, Jaka, oh, I can't even say the name anymore. But to save his life. Um, in the first movie, yeah, bring that up, but don't bring it up at the moment where you're striping me down. You're taking everything from me. And it was just a lot. So I was I was a little and mad. at the same time, like if if you tell me that I my duty is to serve the throne. Yeah. I have to serve the throne no matter who sits on Sith Sith throne. So if mm -hmm. that was Killmonger, then I had to do that. So you're mad at me for doing my job. I I like that doesn't make sense, Miss Girl. Like I know you're the queen or whatever, but I had to do what I was sworn and entrusted to do. And so, also, yeah, and also yeah. they were at a point where they had to do they they were they were pushed against the wall. So everything was at risk, regardless, to go to get reread, to go deal with whoever these people are, not knowing the full extent of what um you know, what Namor had or what he, he could do. They were going on myth and legend. There wasn't even going on any facts. So a part of it was like, are you being too hard on I have on a question. 
quick question. Mm-hmm. When they um did they mention Riri's professor at any point? Because there was a kind of I don't if I remember this correctly, there was some dialogue about her professor, but they never mentioned his name. No, they didn't. And- That's one of the big unanswered questions that mm-hmm. I, it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional mm-hmm. because we were we were told that there was a professor. Right. We were introduced to characters who have a bigger presence in the comics, right? When they were actually going and using that technology. And then it just stopped cold. And, you know, then we got Val involved in everything. So there's a reason why it was omission, like by design, but that was frustrating. <laughs> right. Have that. But, but y'all know who it is, but you know who that probably is. Tell who us. Do is? I, who do you think it is? It's probably Reed. You think it's really? I don't think it's Reed. I think it's a variant of Kang. Hmm. Okay. This is why I'm saying. This is why I'm saying that. Let me and why uh, let me make sure I'm correct because you know I can't be doing this. I can't be a common person (laughs) and then be completely wrong. But as we're talking about it, I think it's Reed. Um, because who else would know as much about this type of stuff? It would be. I feel like it would be Reed. I'm thinking of the Illuminati. The original version of the Illuminati, you had Iron Man and Reed. They have worked together um, for years when it comes to like dealing with, for example, making the costumes. The costumes that they all wear were interchangeable um, molecules. So therefore, they can literally wear what we're wearing right now mm-hmm. and then like, you know, shift it to be like it'll be a suit. Or it'll go into their costume, or it'll be a cocktail dress. It was almost like synergy in a way of like having to change it all. But it was um, Namor. Did he sit on the Illuminati at one point in the comics? Yes, he's in. The okay, so I can I can see where you are getting your information from. So um, he, uh, it could be that that's what he's doing because they are introducing the Fantastic Four. We know that. But that could have been um, a way of doing this. Now, the reason why I was saying this is because Reed Richards is a doctor. He is known as a scientist. So he has worked on many things before, including vibranium. Um, so he would know a lot about that. Um, mm-hmm. he's now, also- what if it's actually Dr. Doom? I know this is, there was no evidence to support this claim. <laughs> but- True. That would be actually you. You're right. It could be because the way they can reintroduce all this is fine. Now, the reason that we know Riri's school that she was at was she at MIT? She wasn't at MIT. I don't believe. Okay, because I can't remember what they was where they said she was. I was trying to remember what she was supposedly at. Um, however. Um, just to give you more idea of Reed, Reed was in college at 14. And he studied at Harvard, MIT, Austria. Um, he has, and he did teach. Um, so he could have um, been one of her teachers. Or as you were saying, it could be Dr. Doom. It, could, it has to be somebody who knows 
about this. Now, we are really, really guesstimating here because also remember that in It Thor, was MIT, by the way. Huh? It was it MIT, by the way. Okay. That's where he has worked. See, so... So... The, and correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe I missed something because there's a lot of MCU now. But we don't know who Sharon Carter works for. We don't know who the buyer was from Ant-Man and the Wasp. And now we don't know who this professor was. And so those are like three like gaps in the story. Um, and is it possible they're all the same person? It could be. And this is why I know you mentioned it, you know, why we have Val. That, when you think about Val's role in the movies lately, they have been trying to figure out a lot of what's going on with some of this, which is why we are getting the Thunderbolts. Um, because there are a lot of things, they need to know, but they need people to get dirty with it versus like a regular cat or a falcon. They need kind of ones like, no, I need you to kill somebody. <laughs> I need you to kill them. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, I, I wonder, as as you were saying, like who these people, because we don't know them, that means they probably don't know them. And so that's why we are probably getting a little bit more of, you know, that mystery, but also why Riri. Now, it makes me wonder how much Namor knew, because they knew they had to kill the scientists. But what else do they know? And what else are they trying to deal with? And again, the comic, they have dealt with Doom. Doom has tried to take over. Because that's who Doom is. Um, so that is an issue. But also keep remembering that there was also a secret group that was behind the Black Widow program too. It was not just that, that I don't want to call it the ballerina. So how they were doing it beforehand, but it was more of like there was another person behind that that was controlling them all so there's tons of mysteries here could it be another thing of kang possibly because kang and all of them have fought before kang has always had his hands meddling in everybody's business in the sense of like just for the hell of it so i don't know it could be, this is going to be our new mystery now, our new conspiracy theory. We went from Mystifo to now. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I was trying to make Fetch happen. Uh, we're trying to, and I, I'm still going to hold on to Mystifo, but um, <laughs> who was Riri's professor? And how much do they know? Because Val didn't even talk about that. Because think about it. They, they knew enough about Riri to go in and get Riri. They knew where Riri was. They knew all that stuff. But they what don't know Val even know? I I think if it's who the potential who we think it is, I think they would even be too smart for her. You know, they would. Mm. If say if it was a Doctor Doom, like he, his intelligence is on a different level than a lot of people. So he would take the necessary precautions to shroud his his identity or whatever the case may be so all that stuff is possible um but yes so we have to figure out who that is moving forward or, and what role they play now riri will ironheart will have its own series so we'll probably learn more in that when that comes out 
about who was her professor, who will be introducing that because you know these shows just don't come out for no reason. There's always something in these series that's going to lead into something else. But now let's get uh, going back into where we are. So, you know, now we got Riri. They Riri is still they're still kind of capture ish, but now we get Nakia. We have Queen Ramonda goes to Haiti. Um, which was a very beautiful scene. The colors were so beautiful in that scene. Um, but to go and say, you know, R R Romana's going in to like, I need somebody I can trust to go and get my daughter back. And she goes to Nakia. Uh, and it was really interesting to see because, you know, Nakia, as we left Nakia, Nakia was going to go, go around the world um, to do work um, because as she told T'Challa and um, Black Panther, she wasn't ready to be a possible queen or anything. She still had work to do. She still had things to do in the world. And then to see that she was running like kind of a school there in Haiti, but to see like, it was nice to see her again, but to see how Ramonda responded to her, like, I'm coming to you because I really need your help. And it also kind of reminded us again that Nakia was a top-notch ass spy, probably better than Black Widow, in a, if anything, of doing her business and the fact that the queen trusted her out of all the people she could have asked for. That was really, really, really great to see. What did y'all think of Nakia when she came into the scene? Oh, I was a bit surprised. Um... It's it's quite a shift to meet Nakia in the first movie, and she is a, a spy. She's rescuing people. She has all these connections, and then to just give that up. So I guess we should we were supposed to see there was a why that she gave it up, and um and it didn't make sense to me uh un, until the 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 very end, and we learned the why. Um, so I I think I pretty clever pretty clever of them to do that. To say like, oh yeah, she just gave it all up. Like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. That's that's not her character. It just doesn't it it doesn't resonate. But when we learned why and my heart broke all over again, um, it was worth it. I I I love the the introduction of her, you know, as always for me. But okay, the timeline is now a little interesting as to when she left again, when she got pregnant, so in when T'Challa actually died, so I'm guessing she was she wasn't pregnant when she left Wakanda at the end of Black Panther. I now, I, I think it was there was a reason why she wasn't present during Endgame, um, and Infinity War, and it was it had. Well, she wasn't present during Infinity War either, right? So I think I think that was, um, I think that's when it happened. I I feel like that's like the the five year time jump, like that's Toussaint's lifespan, and then this happened. You know, the story taking place between a year and two years after that. That you know, it would make sense. I mean, he looks like he's six or seven years old. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that's what happened is after the first movie and before Infinity War, that's when she became pregnant and left. And then that's why she wasn't present in Wakanda for those movies. That makes sense. 
because I was like, okay, is this something else that we're going to have to deal with as far as time jumps and all that jazz? But I I like the fact that uh, the queen always relied on one of the most significant persons in T'Challa's life as somebody to rescue her daughter. And I wish they could have explained the grief she was feeling. Um, I know they touched on it, but they didn't really allow us a deeper dive into how she felt and knowing that she has a child with this man who is no longer alive. I, you know, that's a really good point. And I think the only thing that I can think of is how in the first movie, um, as soon as T'Challa returns to Wakanda and he sees his mother there on the tarmac and she, and he asks her how she is. And she says proud because he's about to become King. And so my only guess is that there is something about how, what we are supposed to know about Wakandan culture that carrying on with children with the family line that that does something because their understanding as of death is as a stepping off point not as an end but if you don't have that line anymore then that impacts you in a very different way because then it's not really it doesn't feel like a stepping stepping off point where the line is continued where you have ancestors and um, progeny etc but maybe that's why Nakia was not grieving the same way because his son was there and she knew that. And so that maybe that is one of the things because it kind of mirrors um, the way Ramondo was in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And I also realized why she raised Toussaint away because it was like, there would have been a lot of pressure for this child. And it made me think about, again, Namor, when he grew up and what he saw at that time. And it was like, she was like, I just want him to just be a child, not worry about what that was. We saw what happened with Killmonger. We saw what happened with, and you know, the fact that he was heir to it and what it did, I think. And also what she was doing. Um, and so therefore she needed to be a mom um and so yeah it was it was You're, a lot it was a lot you you just threaded so many different things for me right now that in, in the first time we see her like there's a child soldier who like is right there and she's and they're like no he's just a child there are little you know girls there are yes what Namor saw and how he became what he became because he wasn't allowed to be a child she did experience T'Challa and what he, the burden that he felt when his father died and how scared he was to become king. You just, you put all that together just right there. Um, and yeah, she, she saw all of these different threads of what happens when they're not allowed, when little boys are not allowed to be little boys. And that speaks to a, a greater thread or topic as far as how black people and other non-white people have to grow up so fast, whether it be, you know, by the product of the, by their environment or the factors that affect their environment or uh, white uh, grievances and under the constant 
oppression of capitalism and all of these isms. So I'm glad that they highlighted that throughout the movie. And they even talked a little bit about, you know, when they were in Haiti, like why she was there, what she was trying to do. She was trying to help them rebuild, you know, doing, you know, building a school for the kids. And I was like, yes, that would be what she wanted to do. That is Nakia. But also her son in that mix, too. And it almost felt like she wanted him to see what it is to rebuild, what it is to be a part of something that is life-changing, um, whether it's education, whether it's building, whether it's community. It was all those things that she was exposing her son to because I think in the reality, she knew that he will soon have to go take the throne. But at least he will see a world of what it is to rebuild and to build community because Chachala didn't. And if you remember, he was pissed at his father in the afterlife because of what they decided to do when it came to his cousin and that situation. So I, as I've been thinking about it over and over, I'm like, I see why she did that. Because it's like he needed to not be far removed. He needs to be far removed, but not too removed from reality, if that makes sense. Like, yes, this is us building community together. This is the kids. This is what they have gone through, but you will be a part of this re rebirth, this regrowth of Haiti or this regrowth with the children that your father didn't, because your father always had all the things. He did not know this. He did not know the decisions that, that were being made behind his, not behind his back, were being made um, that would change his life forever. She took him from that to give him more of a, a a reference of life or give him like this is life this is life that you need to know so when you do take the throne you're not coming in like T'Challa or you're not coming in like his father you're coming in with a different world perspective of how you should do it he she was raising him to be the future of Wakanda in some ways that's how I took it um, when they were introducing you know her and why she's been away but also for her to, as she was saying, like, I needed time. I could not be there. I needed time to deal with it in, in my own way. So I I felt that when she was talking about it. Um, so, yeah. Do you think that was a cop-out, though, in a way? No, just because of their lives. Again, she was doing a lot of that undercover work. He would have to deal with the throne and the pressures of that throne. They were still reeling from what happened within that. You think about what happened within that time. You had Killmonger come in, causing grief, causing strife and mess. Then you have um, Infinity War coming in, <laughs> like causing more issues. The five-year loss. Right. And then this. So I, I guess a part of me was like, she, she was like, okay, that's been a lot. To raise a child in the midst of all of that might have been hard. Yeah, you could argue that, well, he had, but you also had the privilege of you taking him out of there. Not everybody had that privilege to be like, I'm taking my kids out of Wakanda because we got aliens, we got, you know, rogue leaders, all that stuff is happening. Yeah, so I didn't think it was a cop-out. I think it was like, <laughs> let me try to, let me try to figure out what will be best for him as the future leader of Wakanda. 
That makes sense. And the car horn agree too. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that is just how I took it. Um, but I did like the fact that she easily got down there to telecon. I'm saying it wrong, so I apologize. But getting down there, getting them out of there. Um, but that rescue was a catalyst for what happened next, basically. Because I think someone, they ended up killing somebody. Um, and that led to Namor like, okay, so they, they're not trying to hear me. I'm going to have to go make, you know, make my presence known. And now we yeah, kinda... he took that. He took that death very seriously and hard, and I think that speaks to how he is when he is trying to protect his people. He takes every death as seriously as if it was somebody from his family. So that leads me to know what kind of leader he is and why his soldiers fight so hard for him yeah and even i was a little like a part of me was like they only killed they could have done worse they could have like just blew everything up to smithereens but no they did that but as you were saying he took that as like okay so you you killed one of us you killed all of us i'm coming for wakanda uh, and when he came for wakanda that was a lot because I was sitting there like, wow, he just because I looked at what kind of like nobody can get there. I mean, it took a little bit of those aliens to get in there, but they really didn't get in there. They opened that gate for them to kind of get in. That's how they even got that. They didn't even get into the city. So just to see them get that far in and then I was like, oh, God, you know, like they just doing everything. Um, and, you know, I had to laugh at Mbaku because he was excited. He was like, oh yeah, about to fight. Then he tried to jump up in there and Namor threw that arm up. I was like, oh man, you kind of you kind of fucked up Mbaku. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he's bad. And when he punched him in his chest, <laughs> I felt that I was like, you thought this was gonna be simple. But I did appreciate that he got right back up, even though he was like knocked the hell, almost knocked the hell out. He still got back up to fight, but that was a rough scene just to see Wakanda kind of get kind of torn apart like that. Right. And then we got the, during that scene, uh, they were trying to protect Riri and in a sense, uh, Ramonda gave her life to uh, protect her. And like, I, I honestly, I think killing off that character was a bit too much because Shuri was already under duress. So adding to that duress was like, oh, was that necessary? But I could see the the themes as far as they wanted to push her to the edge of whatever that extreme may be. I th I think that I, I, somebody told me that was the original plan was Ramona was supposed to die anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And that, I was like, okay, well, good Lord. But I was like, that was a lot in one movie. Um, yeah, like tell me everyone's gonna die before I go there. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. I was like, okay, because she got Riri up. I was like, okay, they go to, they go, they're gonna be out of breath and like barely, you know, like getting up and running. But when I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, she'll, they, they're gonna get her, they're gonna revive her. I'm like, okay, okay, this is the drama. But I was like, 
oh, they're not reviving her. We're doing this again. Right. You know, I'm like, back. damn. Like, fuck my drag, right? Like, come yeah. on now. They, they, can, they can handle bullet wounds. Uh, Everett Ross. I see. That's going to, I'm sure that's going to start a whole other line of discourse is why can they save Everett Ross, but they can't save T'Challa. They can't save Ramonda. It, mm. Mm, and this thread. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, okay, y'all have just done all that. But it also made me mad. I was really mad in the more. I'm like, how dare you? You, you, you. And But then he made it worse. He's like, he said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill everybody over here. And I was like, dude, I was like, you're just getting a little bit too out of pocket. I was like, you're getting too out of pocket with your fine self. And it's just getting to a point where you're gonna have to, they're gonna have to come and get you because he you was really a different. little bit doing much. He was like, I just came here to dance. I didn't do came up to uh, do all this, but yeah, I thought he was, yeah, he was doing too much. I was like, oof, I got to get off this train, uh, Mr. C Man. But I mean, can we can we mention um, the score and Namor's music? Those those haunting horns, um, play play no more's throne from the soundtrack, um, from the original score, and do it at night when you're alone, and you will feel like somebody is coming for you, and and I, I think that just when he was fighting, when he was flying, and the cuts that he was doing in the air, and the way he was just handling, you know, the Wakandan Air Force, um, or whatever they call it, I, it it just showed you how much of a menace he was. Um, and I'm, I'm like thinking about like when I was a kid and the first time I saw the Borg on screen, like they had scary music, they were unstoppable. You didn't know what to do. That's true. Every, yeah. You know, everything you knew was just like, we thought Wakanda was great. Ramona just said the most powerful nation in the world. And Namor's like, what are you talking about? Like he didn't care. And he just, and he handled them like that. Yeah. He come in with his, you know, with his whales and Mr. Krabs, they all come up in there and just literally just show the fuck out. And I'm just like, all right. So they know what they did and what to a point they had to, re you know, again, move everybody over to, <laughs> back over to Jabari, over to the, and I, I know in Buckles, like, I'm sick of y'all. <laughs> Every five minutes, y'all come, I got to come up in here and do that. Right. No, but, no one ever comes just for dinner. Yeah. But I old like ass tails just moving in, like, like I, now I got to clean up, and you got me looking a mess. My hair's all badouche and whatever the fuck, and I gotta go do all this and clean up and get the the table ready for eighty five thousand folks. Like I didn't even have any time to go grocery shopping. Milk is high, bread is high. Like, come on now. But also, it was that he had to deal with the fact of Shuri. Shuri was dealing with. Her grief to where it was like either you and she gave him that ultimatum like you gonna have to just either you come with me or you are against me too like we're gonna go after and kill him and he was like trying to be like that's not the way we're gonna have to do something a little bit different and she's like no there is no other way and so you know he had to abide by the rules again and i felt like dang you know here he is and he was you know what if not one of the wise people, you know, one of the, he, he was part of the group, but he was also in some ways one of the most trusted people because if anybody you're going to trust is someone who wanted the throne, you would have to trust that person. 
right? You have to trust that person because they they were two steps away too at one point, um, but they still fought by your side regardless. And he did help them, you know, re revive uh, Black Panther in the first movie. So it was it was kind of a little heart, not heartbreaking, but a little. I felt a little bit of that gut punch. It was like I'm doing I'm I'm doing what I need to do. Now you tell me I, this is what I have to do, and this, I'm under orders to do this. But he did it. He was going to fight with her, fight with her to take down um, Namora and his, you know, and his people. But it was fascinating just to have that conversation when they were burying um, Queen Ramonda, just that conversation they had. Because um, it was like, you know, she's going to have to do what she has to do. But it was also that pressure she had because she had to re, had to create that plant. That plant was destroyed because of Kilmar. And so had to create that plant again to do that. And it was that scene, I said this to Chief last night, it was just that scene where um, Nakia was there and they and they finally did it. Um, it was something about Nakia being excited about it. It made me really excited. And it, I was like, that, and that was just a testament to Lupita's acting. I was like, okay, I'm excited too. She was like, oh my God, it worked. I was like, okay, she's excited, it worked. And I, and I didn't really get the big deal about why it needed to work, you know what I mean? Um, Cause I was like, why was it so important for him to get this DNA thing? Like I, it didn't really click with me until that scene. And then I was like, okay, now I get it. That's how the plant was going to come back. That's how they'd be able to continue on the Black Panther um, piece. And so when that was done, that was amazing. But when she went into the afterlife, I was a little stuck. I was not prepared to see Kilmar out of all people. I had a, I mean, that was like one of the rumors is that we were going to see Killmonger in the um, ancestral plane, but mm -hmm. in the throne, it was different. And it, the way he explained it, you called me, <laughs> like, which is, which is, you know, important because he called his father, you know, when he was there, but he didn't see the ancestral plane. He saw the, what did somebody say? It was the context of where somebody had died like that's they they both went there they didn't go to the ancestral plane because it was completely different the way their lives went mm -hmm. yeah i i wasn't expecting killmonger too but how she felt her emotions controlled who she saw so it made sense that she saw killmonger because he he acted in a way with he let his his anger led how he was going to act. So seeing kill seeing Shuri act the way that she did made sense in hindsight, you know, which is again always 2020. Yeah. And what he was saying was not wrong. Again, it was here we were back with what he was saying was not wrong, but the, the way he was going about it was, he was like Magneto in a way, you know, like how Magneto is like, I'm protecting my people. That means I'm about to kill all these folks too. <laughs> like, and and in some ways you're like, Magneto, that's not it. But at the same time, it's like, but I see where you're coming from. And I think you're right. Her emotions brought that out because in they're, that's family. They're still family regardless. Um, but I think she needed that mindset just to be to be steeped in it for a little bit to remind herself that that's not who I am. And I'm glad I had to experience that in order to become who I was supposed to be. Because you think about what her mother was saying, what her mother was saying, like, show them who you are. Um, 
I think she needed to get, you know, we all have to fall down to get back up. She had to go through that, had to, you know, embody what Killmonger was in order to come back from that. Because you can get as dark as Killmonger and may not come back from that. But to come back from that, I felt like that is the true testament of the Black Panther, is where you come back after knowing what darkness is. One of the best lines ever said in comics was when Storm, um, in the comics, there was this thing called malice. It was one of, it was Mr. Sinister's, um, one of his henchmen. And through a locket, it possesses you. And it makes you do all types of stuff. Um, malice took a hold of Storm and Storm was, it hit Storm, Wolverine was like, we gotta save her. And, and um, Psylocke was like, no, she has to do this on her own. And Storm was like struggling a little bit. And then she took, she snatched off the locket and said, I know myself, you can't do anything to me that I haven't already done to myself. I know the light and dark parts of me, so you can't tempt me with anything. And I think that's, and when I saw that scene, that's the first thing I thought of, was that part where she was like, I know myself now. I had to go there, I had to deal with that to know how I would deal with it. And now I can be stronger as Black Panther. And I think that just goes to an overarching theme of how do we pull ourselves out of those negative spaces when we are grieving? Because it's easy to feed into the notion of harboring anger versus being okay with a certain thing. Um, personally, it's easy for me to hold on to anger, to hold on to hate versus allowing myself to not feed into that in the kind of negativity or allow myself to be angry and then make sure there's a path forward to the other side. Um, and I know giving the atrocities to specifically black people, having them sit in that anger, a lot of the times is very necessary. Yeah. Um, so I did like that moment for her. But what did y'all think of the fight? So when they went back and they started, they went after Lamar and everybody. What do y'all think of the overall fight? Why did they fight them on the water again? They were drawing they... them in. <sighs> I get that, but that was a dangerous kind of tactic to fight people who can breathe underwater, who has free willy and jaws and jabber jaw over here <laughs> as their allies. Like, I was like, they are not, I was very scared for the Wakandans when they fought them. Cause I'm like, these are, ain't no punk bitches. They will take no. you out. And I was almost thinking they're gonna bring the Kraken <laughs> at some point. That's gonna be that one big old squid. I was expecting that like a huge squid to come out mm -hmm. to be like. <laughs> no, I mean it's like I just I want to know when somebody's gonna be like, how did how did Namor allow Sea World to happen? Oh, see, <laughs> oh, when you was doing all this and that, okay, like, like, uh, Miss Orca yeah. get held up and now see, she can never have kids right 
and, and they and they could talk to the animals too. So yeah, so, I right. I watched Sea Spiracy, and Namor allowed that to happen. Mm. Yeah, see, that could yeah. go ahead. That would be funny. Sure, would have been like, since you want to talk about stuff, let's talk about. You allowed all this to happen. Five hundred years. You could have stopped. You could have. Right. There could have been no Sea World if you would have acted. So it's funny, but I, I I did like the fight between them. That I will say that I thought that when he stabbed Shuri, I was like, oh, all right, that was unexpected. But you know, the stakes have to be higher, and so I think that's yeah. where she understood the power of Black Panther and came back. But I love that they use science against Namor too. You know, they trapped him, taking the, you know, drying him out. When she cut those wings, I was like, oh. Ooh, they basically put him under a heat lamp. Or, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you know how you do fast food when it's uh, it's made, just put it in that little heat yeah. lamp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I love the fight. I love that moment where they realize, like, we're going to have to just join or work together and at the end you know you saw them like side by side but you know what Namora said that they were they eventually they're going to be coming to us yeah. that that was the arrogance of Namor, of like eventually and he's always have said stuff like that mm -hmm. um and if you are familiar with the comics there's been tensions between Namor and black panther in the past um so there you know there's no love lost but I did appreciate that part where it's like, we're not completely done. So don't think this is us. Cause you know, Norita was mad. Norita was mad the entire time. Like I thought she was going to like, actually for some reason, I thought she was going to go to Val and I don't know. I, I don't know what the dialogue between them kind of alluded me to that decision or that whatever, but she was pissed off. She's like, I thought we was going to do this and you lied and he gave her this reasoning. But then again, I still think she might descend. She was, she was giving me Keisha. If you remember Keisha from New Jack City. Um, okay. <laughs> that's what she was right. giving me. She was literally giving me Keisha because Keisha was like, I'm all in. We're going to, I'm going to die on this hill and she was giving me that and you know she was mad she was mad the more at one point i thought she was going to be like i'm going to just go and do what we're going to do you know skip you because you got you trying to have feelings and emotions in this thing um so it's kind of interesting because atuma is that way so it's not seeing atuma act that way was like because atuma has gone against the crown several times with no more and so that's why i'm just like i thought it would be him but to see marita kind of like no this is not how i want we want this to go down that's why i'm it's going to be more to come and that makes me wonder especially when it comes to the, the scrolls and we're about to see them because they've also have run in with them with all of them beforehand especially wakanda um there's a fascinating end page when the scrolls went to the, um, Wakanda and they got all served, but it makes me wonder what we're going to see when it comes to that part. But I can see why you were probably thinking she would go to Val. But I think she would, if she did, she would have killed Val though. 
because they would have learned that it was Val's group that was coming. Oh, from. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I, I think she's gonna go. She would have killed, you know, Miss Fontaine. But uh, I don't know. I just felt like there was more to come with that. Because no, no more. We will see no more again. But I'm I'm wondering in what context because we won't see him in a solo film because Universal. I did not know this. Universal owns him. Um, and I should have known that because if you go side note, if you go down to Universal Studios in Florida, they still have the Marvel stuff. They still have access to that. That's the deal they still have. So they they own the more so. Have to work through that partnership. Yeah, they, that was every every time we saw that that visual guide updated with all the circles of who owns <clears> the characters. That was one that always stuck out for me. Is that Namor was 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 not part of the MCU like per se. It was always <clears> in this like weird space, which came down to how they were able to remix them the way they did, mm -hmm. um, which made it. You know, shout out to creators because you have to be creative when you're told like, so you have to really literally change. Like if Jean Grey, for example, was still owned by Fox, they have to be like, well, we have to really change everything by Jean Grey. Now she's she's a nigger. You know, you have to make it like that. And you have to make her all these different things because we don't own her. I'm just saying. But um Well, that, going back to the there's a rumor that uh I guess Simone Ashley is slated to play Marvel Girl in some upcoming series of uh, uh, on Miss uh, on the Marvels uh, that Nia DaCosta uh, film that she's directing. So, I Jean Grey may just be turning out to be black. Uh, so. Well, there there's two Marvel Girls, so that's why we'll we'll see. Um, Actually, there's more than two, but over the years. But we, we will see with that. Um, but let's get to the final scene where Sherry finally decides to grieve. And she is doing that, but that's when we are that's when we learn about Toussaint. Um, how did y'all feel when y'all met Toussaint? Oh, I, I I just feelings, emotions. There was um, I don't know if they wanted us to be like relieved or happy, but it, it, it kind of gutted me all over again to know that, that the, the character of T'Challa had a son, that Nakia was the mother, that this child was being raised outside. Um, and, and it, uh, yeah, it was, it was heavy. It was a heavy moment. I was, I think I was okay at the end of the film, but then when we saw that, um, I was crushed. It it just it did that to me. Yeah, I I teared up because I was like, I mean, it was nice to see the memory, and they had that moment where they were going through it, and that that was a great song they used um, to do that. I guess it was yeah, it was Rihanna's song, right? Um, that people didn't like, but people liked after they saw the scene, which was very interesting. Um, but when he was introduced. I mean, the kid was adorable already. And I was like, oh my God, this kid. And when she revealed that was her kid and, and heir to the throne, it it is funny how he, the kid knew that. You felt that from just that little moment with the kid, He, you knew he knew what his responsibility will be. 
And I was like, oh my God, so how this is going to, what's going to happen? You know, what would be the next movie? Would we be, you know, uh, you know, like some soap operas would do like, here's the kid. And then three, like next in the fall, that kid is 18. Like, it's like, wait, you know, you were just six and now you're 18. And it's, you know, like, how are they going to do that? Will they jump ahead in the future? Um, I don't know, because we're getting into the next phase. It feels like it's going to be dealing with time because we got Kang. We still got Loki. We still have um, Ant-Man and what we're about to get into with Quantumania and what that really is. So what are we going to deal with? Could it be that? And also remember the Young Avengers, one of the things they dealt with was Kang. So there's a lot. Like, what if he kidnapped? kidnaps T'Challa or the young the Tucson and bring him into the future like all that stuff because I mean that's stuff that we've seen like in if you watch Supernatural Angel any of those type of shows they've taken babies and they take them into the future they come back hell Cable <laughs> Cable is a big that's example true. of that Cable was was um, Matlin Pryor and Scott's baby Matlin Pryor is Jean Grey's clone taken into the future by Ascani, which was the daughter. Um, it's Rachel Summers, the daughter of Jean Grey and the Cyclops from another timeline. Those into the family, future. And those that, yeah. Family trees are so confusing. I swear. Yes. Like everybody got two different versions of themselves and then a baby to go with each version. I'm like, oh my God. So this could be a cable situation. And we also getting cable again, Deadpool again. They're coming back into the D MCU. So anything, you know, this next phase can be, we may not even be ready for this next phase and what they're going to really bring into it. You know, I, uh, sorry, just a, a quick question about the, the timeline. They've been telling us everything takes place in 2024, 2025, but does anyone actually have like, has Marvel released the timeline, the in-universe timeline of when things take place? Um, because I've been trying to figure that out for, well, I mean, really like months now. And I can't, <laughs> I can't find nothing. Because why why set everything so far ahead, like a, a year after Endgame? And like that feels, I, I don't know why they're doing that. Is it because they literally wanted to leave the depression of the snap behind? And so like they gave everyone a year to grieve, but just off camera? But like there's, are we going to catch up to that? Or, is, or are we going to find out that, Phase four, five, and six all happened in the same like two year period, like like Fury's big week, right? Like the, how all those mm -hmm. movies came together in the same week. I hope they don't. Aren't we? So as far as timelines, um, what was that? Captain Marvel happened in the nineties, right? Yeah. And then, what's the the second one is going to be still in the 90s too or is that also going to be in the well, that's that's what it's, it's in the future it's in, it's in now because it will have monica it will have um kamala in this one like the merch is already out if y'all if you haven't seen it the merch is kind of leaked out um yeah i'm still confused on the the timeline cuz so at this point i don't i'm guessing well, Wakanda Forever was supposed to be the end of Phase 4, and the beginning of Phase 5 is 
the Ant Man. Yeah. I'm trying, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> here, I'm just here to have a good time. <laughs> so yeah, that's supposed to bring it in, but we I feel like it's going to be dealing more with time because we dealt with in the midst of between phase four and five, we had a little bit of magic. So we were dealing with the magic parts and now we're going to be dealing with the science and time piece because Loki season two will be starting soon and they're going right back into the whole time piece. And we got a little bit of that then. So we're going to see what's going to happen is moving forward. But also it's interesting because when we introduce Kang and Scarlet Witch, which will be returning all that stuff, there was a moment where he did go after her because of her abilities. Um, so who knows where they will take this, but it should be very interesting. But jumping back with Wakanda Forever, the ending was it was an it was nice. It was a nice feeling to know that this will continue. They will return. Um, but it almost made me wonder where do we go from here now what will be the next issue in matter. Um, and the comics of the Kia is evil. Do we get to a place where we're dealing with some more issues of certain members getting, you know, getting dark? Do we get new um, villains that could come up? We still, there's, there's a few villains that can still come up um, that we will see. Um, it could be, it could be Doom. Doom has always had issues with Wakanda. Um, he respects Wakanda, but he he has issues with it. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot, but the movie. Going back to the movie, the movie ended in a way that I was very happy with. Um, and it didn't feel like it was two and a half hours. It just felt like it just went by so fast for me. Right. I I did. I I was satisfied with the ending of the movie, and I don't think it could have ended in a different way if it was directed by anybody else. Um, there's such a a touch that Ryan Coogler has, especially with Black Panther and all of its stories. And I, I can't see anybody directing that and I can't see anybody in those kind of, in the roles that they are. Um, I was gonna say something, but it just completely left my brain. And fuck. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the movie. I, as far as what's next, I want Kang to be a problem. I want him to have the girls in a tizzy for a while. Like, I want him to be like three or four steps ahead of everybody. Like they think they killed him, but then he's like, there's another version or whatever the case may be. I'm ready for them to be up against the wall, like him the fuck up. But that's just me and my demented ways of getting the heroes together. Uh, Chief, what did you overall what did you think of the movie after it ended and everything? Um, overall, I, I think it's my favorite movie of Phase 4. Um, I think that I, I'm I'm trying to rank this in the overall MCU. Um, like if you look at the films, if you, and then sometimes you can include like the series. It's hard to do that though. But um, I don't know if it cracks the top five in terms of the films. 
And I think that for me, I think that's primarily because of the the way they included things that were expanding the MCU, but I just didn't feel that needed to be part of the story. Um, but still, still worthy. I think that just speaks to, you know, phase three was just too amazing. Um, like it just, and, and, you know, some of the other movies were, were, were still really, really good. And they, they stand the test of time. I can still go back and watch winter soldier. You know, I can still go back and watch Iron Man one. Um, I think that the, the possibilities I think are there, but I'm curious to see if they can have a self-contained Black Panther three without having this just be another, you know, force a bunch of characters into it. Um, I I think that um, I kind of miss that about the MCU that now every movie seems to be a team up um, or a mashup. And I, I, I'm missing the idea of these, you know, many universes that exist within a broader universe. Um, yeah. Cause it just seems like the last few, I mean, Thor Love and Thunder was huge. Um, you know, Multiverse of Madness was huge. Uh, Shang-Chi existed almost in its own little space. And I, I really enjoyed that about it. Um, um, but like, you know, you look at Black Widow and they didn't, it existed almost in its own little space, but yet it didn't really do much for the characters. It didn't take us um down the path that i was hoping for so i think that there are some good storytelling possibilities but it is going to end up probably just being a bigger movie um and so i hope that doesn't take take away from the emotional impact this is clearly marvel's dramatic crown jewel and the only thing that is probably giving them um oscar contention outside of you know the vfx um or the costumes that they that you know things that they would typically have and so i think that they need to treat it with care Eternals could have been that as well, but it was just that movie was just kind of a mess. And it sounds like it seems like they were forcing things to happen in that, that, uh, you know, make it funnier, make it lighter, don't make it so serious. And then why'd you pick a director who's known for making really serious movies, you know? Um, but I think, I think it was a, I think it's worthy. I think I would love to see it again um, soon. So that way I can see little bits and pieces that I missed. Um and yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I'm curious to see where they're going to take it because I, I don't think that you can I, unless you unless you go Rocky full on Rocky style like maybe they just keep going trading back and forth between Namor and Wakanda like you know like that might be a thing you know where we just see keep seeing these rematches but who knows I I hope they don't do that um, and I know we're running low on time but we have got to talk about the inspiration from uh, Latinx cultures that they influenced in the uh, Atlians because I think it was uh, a few articles have acknowledged that it took Black people or Black directors having a sense of care uh, to Latinx cultures and stories that are always lacking in white cinema um, and sometimes even lacking in Latinx cinema as well. Um, I enjoyed that whole influence and makes me want to learn more about those cultures that they pull inspiration from. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for you know, knowing that that Wakanda is is sort of um, 
representative representative of like this pan-african cultural like like space and so it's it's indigenous at heart and that is reflected in the way talokan and maya culture was was included and depicted in the movie um in wakanda forever it's like it, it's you took one indigenous culture and then you were able to to highlight another indigenous culture um two civilizations untouched so to speak by by colonization um you know and and i think that that's i think it's important and i think it's probably it's probably why it happened that way um because if it were if it were not focused on indigenous peoples then you would have had the same problems um telling the story where you would end up with you know light-skinned latinos you would have had people who were you know very white for for all intents and purposes um except for language in the united states context so i think it i think that's why it took it took a black director who was intentional about making a story about this kind of this science fiction of what what could africa have been had it not been for colonization and then taking that and applying a very similar framework to Maya culture and you know Mesoamerican culture of what what could this be if it were different if it were not um, if it were not impacted by the violence of colonization so I think it I think it's great and I think that we get to have more more stories and I'm glad it is rooted in indigenous culture versus Latinx culture and it gives people that th it's forcing that conversation among a lot of Latinos that you know a lot of Latinos are trying to claim this movie and. And 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 it it's almost inappropriate for them to do that because like I know that I have stories of heritage when it comes to indigenous peoples, you know, south of the US Mexico border, but I have no connection. And that's a result of the violence of colonization and forced assimilation. That being said, that doesn't mean that I am allowed to claim indigeneity, regardless of what a 23andMe says or regardless of the stories. Because, you know, just as, um, you know, Victor and I were talking about, you know, the the the, the line of when Toussaint's like, you know, that's my Haitian name. And Shuri immediately understands what he's saying. And she like looks at him and she's like, who are you? And he says so proudly what his what his Wakanda name is. And a, where do you come from? That's a who are your people? That's a who claims you type of question. Every time in Wakanda, they say, who are you? That's what they're asking right? They're asking who claims you, well, who are your people? And I think that that is a very, very powerful thing because it does apply to this question about who is indigenous when you're talking about Latin America, the, the indigenous people, Latinos, et cetera, is that who claims you? And it's not enough to say, well, I can claim that because we have stories, or I can claim that because of my skin tone, or I can claim that because of 23andMe. So do you have the ties and the connections the awareness, the service to that community that would allow them to claim you just as much. And this movie is forcing that conversation. And I love how, you know, LinkedIn is, is having trouble with that because LinkedIn, you know, the professional class, the DEI class, their understanding of identity is, is shallow. It is very shallow. And you don't see a lot of people making that distinction. What you see is Latino representation. And it's like, mm, almost, <laughs> Like you're, you're so close to getting it. And it, it it's, it's just, it's, it's funny because even to know Tuerta will be like, yes, I look like this, but I don't have connections. So I can say heritage, but I cannot say lineage. I cannot say I am part of that community. So even when they're celebrating the actor and the role, 
they're ignoring what the actor is saying about the role in order to now claim this. And that is when you get into the discourse, it's just further violence of, you know, someone who doesn't look in, who doesn't look indigenous or do has no ties to their indigeneity claiming it. So that way they can erase the people who are actually there, who are part of that community, who are struggling to get their voices uh, heard and their stories told. Yes. And that's a great way to wrap up this conversation. I mean, just to think about that and think about like how much this has already caused a lot of conversation that we do need to have, especially when it comes to culture and background and even right. history and even going into learning um, cultural mythology, all those type of things. It's, right. it's very fascinating. So I, I would like to see a series to like delve into the mythology and the history of the Atlians and how they, all of the influence, because we saw, we saw the, uh, the cultural influence in Miss Marvel. We see the cultural influence in Wakanda forever. And I just want them to be as conscious of how they present culture to a predominantly white audience as much as, I wanted to be like in your face type of influence because, well, we can go on another time about whiteness and all that jazz, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, wow, that was it. There's still a lot to think about and talk about, but we, we want to honor time here. So Chief, thank you again for coming on the show. We really greatly appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell us everybody where they can find you on Twitter or social media whenever Twitter to, Twitter finally dies down. <laughs> if you search for Chief Esparza, C-H-I-E-F-E-S-P-A-R-Z-A, you will find me. I'm sure uh, both Victor and Nick will probably um, tweet out my handles at some point. Uh, but you can find me there and then you can find our work at colorblock.org, um, C-O-L-O-R-B-L-O-Q-O-R-G or colorblock.org if you want to find the website and see all the things that we've got coming up. And hopefully I'll be back um, at some point and Victor and I can tell the folks a lot more about what we're going to do uh, in the Los Angeles area next year. Yes, we will talk about that. Um, yeah. And like always, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at what borders say Victor's at Wonderman 5. You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast all at is it? It's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. They changed it. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Pan, not Pandora, Spotify. Um, we're at Twitter at Megashine One, uh, all over social media at Megashine. Is there anything else before we get up out of here? We have been here for a minute. No, that is it. So until next time, you all. Take care.